Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Many of you listening will, I'm sure, have your Christmas leftovers, including Brussels sprouts in the fridge. But how did they get there? I'll be speaking to a man who knows all there is to know about vegetable growing, Mr Colin Randall. And I'll be asking what goes into the sowing of sprouts. Not just for Christmas, but from pretty well September right through to March. My thanks to Mr Fothergill Seeds, sponsors of this podcast. Another portent of spring, the winter aconites are showing yellow in my garden. I think, again, the snow we had before Christmas and one or two really hard frosts uh, and then turning a bit mild and wet is just what they needed to get them going. As soon as I see the winter agonites in flower, yellow, then, uh, well, we know the days are going to lengthen and we'll soon be able to get out and do more. Actually, if you'd like to grow a few winter agonites, I may list the Latin name, then the best way is to find somebody who's got quite a lot in their garden and to lift a clump of soil with two or three and just drop those. They grow very well at the base of a hedge, somewhere like that, which uh, can be dry through the summer. The aconites won't worry about that. And they will self-seed, and in no time at all, you'll have quite a carpet of them. Really great portents of spring they are. There is a bit of exciting news as far as I'm concerned this week because in the New Year's Honours list, Colin Squire was there. He will be OBE with his investiture in due course. Colin and I go back a long time and those of you in South London uh, will obviously know of Squire's garden centres from Twickenham uh, right down pretty well to the south coast. Uh, An amazing business, really. His dad started with just a wheelbarrow and a few hand tools and set up a landscape business. And then when Colin and I met, would be the uh, early to mid-1960s, Colin designed one of the first garden centres at Twickenham, Six Cross Road. Really charming, lovely man. And and very talented, you know, plays the piano and has... uh, a really good artistic sense. We've worked together a number of times building gardens at the Chelsea Flower Show and I couldn't be more pleased to see his name uh, under the OBEs. Congratulations, Colin. Now when it comes to gardening advice this week, then John Massey from Ashfield Nurseries in the Midlands, a great uh, plant breeder, has some wonderful hellebore, the oriental hellebores. Uh, And and I note uh, 
that he's suggesting that this is a good week to get cutting all the old leaves off hellebores. If you're growing the oriental hellebores especially, then the flower buds should just begin to be showing. And if you cut all the foliage off, then of course the flowers come up and they're not masked in any way. And even better, it avoids uh, a botrytis disease that can affect the leaves. So there's a job you can do. Uh, if it's uh, in a border and you've got to walk on the grass, well then it's worth putting a big board down. Because after all that rain it's uh, pretty heavy and a bit muddy uh, and you don't really want to compress the surface too much. Actually another note which came in a Christmas card from the Robinson family up in Preston. Uh, Margaret tells me that they're already well on the way to sowing their vegetables for a flower show exhibits uh, next May and there onwards. You know, January is the uh, agreed time, I think, if you want to sow the giant onion seeds. Uh, and their mammoth, of course, will produce some really huge bulbs if you sow it very early. It's a good thing, too, to sow things like aubergines and peppers. They're very slow to germinate. Take two or three weeks, I would think, even under indoor conditions. And they grow slowly, so they can just sit on the windowsill. You only need two or three seedlings. Uh, and then they'll be well up by the time they can go out into uh, an unheated greenhouse in May. I need to sow fairly soon, too, some... Uh, lettuce, cauliflowers, cabbage, the variety hispy. Uh, and if we sow those vegetables now, then they should be turning in in time for our display at Chelsea Flower Show the third week in May. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> There are lots of people that you work alongside for years uh, and of course understand uh, what they do at work but you have no little idea of, of their background you know it's almost like double lives i've known for example colin randall for a good many years how many years do you think it is colin that uh, you and i have known one another and worked together Crikey, uh, 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 that's a difficult one, Peter, to start off with, isn't it? Um, coming back, because, uh, of course, you came down to, cer I certainly remember from Torquay days. That's uh, right, Sutton's. yeah. Um, so we're talking to... You, you may well have done uh, in Reading days, and um, I can't, did you, I don't know, Peter, did you come over to early in... 
when we're commercially uh, commercial company sons in Reading. I, yes, I, I did. I've been out on the trial grounds working away. I explained. Yeah, I did visit there. But, but Colin, first of all, before I forget, I noticed um, in the uh, Kitchen Garden magazine you often do reports on the Wisley trials, uh, and I was interested in the Brussels sprout trial. Uh, yeah. y- you worked on that, didn't you? Oh, I did, uh, and um, one of the uh, uh, unfortunately the, the Brassica trials, because uh, Brussels sprouts were on that bottom row of the Portsmouth field. At the, uh, the sort of far left of the Portsmouth field, looking from the top of the hill, uh, which has got rather shady with large trees, and so the poor old Brussels sprouts did struggle. Um, uh, yes, not not not, not the, the best p- of places to have put them, I'm afraid. No, but when I read the report, it said that you tasted them and that you ate them raw as well as cooked. Is that right? Do you actually t- taste them when you do those trials? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I mean, as personally, I do with the vast uh, amount of uh, of any vegetable trial, do a raw taste test and a, and a cooked one. Um, but it was sort of deemed that the, in this instance, that it was important that the, the uh, committee um, did do some tastings. Uh, it's not always been the case. And um, and they're quite very enjoyable. Some perhaps a bit more enjoyable the the taste like uh, tomatoes and that with some of the committee than trying to nibble raw sprouts. <laughs> I do it all the time at, uh, at the commercial trials. Um, nibble away at all sorts of things. And and, um, and and I have too. You know, I think it's the quickest way, isn't it? Don't you think? If, oh, you, if you're going down a row of ten or twenty different varieties, a quick nibble and a spit out, and a nibble and a spit out. Boy, it doesn't half sort the wood from the trees. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But but with sprouts, they've got a lot sweeter, haven't they? Don't you think? Yeah, that... the the yeah, it's rather a, uh, an unfortunate word. Well, it might be overused in their in their trade a little bit. The um, sweeter context, um, uh, which you don't really associate with Brussels sprouts, do, do you? I suppose. Uh, uh, in olden um, or, or pre-hybrid days, I suppose, with with the old Bedfordshire and Evesham, Cambridgeshire OP sprouts that everyone would have had to have grown. Um, which was, I was only a lad then. I was better make a point of that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> my, my, my gran had a few in the garden, and, and she always said that they, they had a better taste after lots of frosts on them. Yeah. I suppose that was in the days of getting a proper winter, I suppose. Yeah, I should, ex- in recent years. I should explain to um, our listeners that we're uh, interrupting your work today, so there will be a little bit of background conversation there. But, but when we go back to the sprouts, I mean, that's the, the mustard oils sort of gave them that strong taste, didn't they? And, yeah. And I noticed yeah. that schools, the, the kids are eating sprouts now in a way that... Uh, youngsters would have been a bit reluctant in the past because I, th- I think they are much milder flavoured. Mm. I mean, certainly uh, the mustard oil contents um, have been um, reduced to a certain extent to get, so you don't get the bitter aftertaste or the the sort of um, lingering um, harshness of some of the old uh, Brussels sprout varieties and, they, to be fair, some of the modern commercial ones 
And when I was speaking to a couple of the um, brassica breeders in, in recent years, they said that a lot of them still prefer the tinnier, harsher taste of a Brussels sprout than the than the some of those that have had the uh, those compounds reduced. Yeah, in some sense. So it's it's like everything, isn't it? You're not going to one cap fits all for. For all these products. Well, I think older people will probably go for a slightly stronger taste, won't they? Yeah, I mean, as long as it's not too harsh, which you can pick up to a certain extent uh, on on a raw nibble. Yeah. And I've done that a lot at um, uh, Nickerson's trials in, in recent years with, with um, uh, Julie Cormack and, and uh, Barry, Barry Craven, who, who's recently retired um, just before... Uh, back in the autumn, November, he, after many years, and he, he was a sort of real Brussels sprout uh, guru. And we done lots of raw taste tests, and um, and that's where the uh, the newer material um, uh, is is being more widely used, I suppose. And um, well, now, Colin, for our listeners. What will you be sowing this year then? For the ordinary gardener who just grows probably six or ten plants, what would you go for? What would your recommendation be? Well, it's a difficult one with Brussels sprouts as such because um, they're aimed at the Christmas market, aren't they, for, yeah. for general general use? I mean, uh, as you and I remember Peer Gint when it was out. was oh, that really one for the... Uh, you know, end of September, uh, and it had finished long before the the cooler nights of autumn and winter was setting in. But it was a household favourite, and um, yeah, but we can't get that now. So what is no, the no? There's what's there's the little, alternative? Well, Oliver replaced it from the same breeder, and then right. that went the same way. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that, now you're no help to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> so it did sort of um, show the. I suppose at a, a time that um, uh, the Brussels sprouts were not really geared up for a late summer, autumn maturity. And, um, but the world has, you know, what goes round comes round, and there is still um, breeding work on some of the earlier um, maturing varieties. I mean, I'm, I'm going to notice it with savoys. You know, you get yeah. summer savoys, some, and they, they can be pretty popular because again they, they've got that taste factor just shredded up uh, in your summer salads and they haven't got the harsh mustard oil taste as some of the older fashioned ones when when i call in i'm growing brilliant and mm, thinking very about good old variety yeah well very uh, old nowadays and, and thinking of growing maximus mm-hmm. and then i see in the trials that is it doris it is a good Doric, Doric. D-O-R-I-C. Yeah. Yes, that's, um, it's a good late one. Yeah. Um, I mean, of the from the uh, RHS trial, uh, it did highlight a, uh, a couple of points, really. And there was a couple that were given awards that um, on rechecking, which I, I was doing at that time on quite a few of the, to just a get confirmation from the breeders or suppliers that the uh, they would be available for gardeners over you know, at least a couple of year period appreciate that hybrids don't stay in the marketplace for too long 
and uh, two of them that were awarded uh, that were available of course uh, uh, various of the seat houses were selling them uh, green marble and bronte um, were being discarded or deleted by the breeders right. and so there would be the seed availability was uh, ongoing was going to be zero so I just had to make a point to the trials office on that and it's up to them uh, then uh, whether to not to uh, uh, except the AGM, um, because it would not be available um, for any length of time. Yeah, it's difficult, but isn't it? That, it is very difficult. Uh, one that did, uh, we put uh, MART, M-A-R-T-E, we introduced that one into the um, range the, the current season we're in, and for next season we've got Atwood, which is one that Mr. Fothergills had had, or have, um, it was from uh, Guy Warren's uh, little program when he was still doing a bit over uh, on the old Bedfordshire site. Right. Uh, and they're both F1s? They're both F1s. Yeah. Uh, Brody's a later one. Uh, and, and that one has, um, didn't get an AGM in the first two assessments. Um, but on the third assessment in January that we did at the time, uh, until the picking ceased on the believe it was the end of the first week of February the whole trial was scrapped even though uh, a couple of the varieties like Atwood were still um, doing reasonably well uh, and that one got an AGM on its uh, third um, note with the committee present and that's one we're doing uh, for the new season uh, so that's a bit of British breeding through through Guy Warren. So uh, very nice variety. So if you had to choose one, Atwood could well be on your list. It could, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, now you mentioned Sutton's at Reading, which is years ago. Did you actually start as a school? You know, leaving school at Sutton's. Mm, very close. I was a sort of eighteen months in between. Uh, well, leaving school and working for a, a market gardener, uh, a fairly new enterprise um, at that time, just outside of Newbury, and in a big walled garden at Hampstead Marshall. And um, but he, he found that uh, he couldn't really afford to keep anyone um, sort of to learn the trade um, to sort of keep me uh, afford me, I suppose. Even though uh, in those days wages were pretty low, they were, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he just sort of left, gave me time to try and sort me something out. And um, uh, I applied. There was a I saw a job, I think it was advertised in the Newbury Weekly News, at Donington Castle House, uh, Derek Parker Bowles' um, uh, house in uh, just outside of Newbury at Donington. So, and, uh, I mean, is that the Duchess's family? Uh, that would have been the link with Camilla, um, through Camilla Parker Bowles, through um, Derek's elder son, Andrew. Oh, right. Yeah. So, did you see her then, as a young lad? No. Though any any time there was um, um, royalty due, who might have been at the races at Newbury races, and then popping up for a cup of tea at the house before they went back to their various places, um, 
was, I had to be at the far end of the garden, well out of sight, <laughs> never anywhere near the house. Oh, right. <laughs> I had advance warning that there was uh, visitors and um, I would not be uh, anywhere nearby. Oh, the old Demonar, eh? Yeah. <laughs> the old head gardener was very strict for um, <laughs> Alfred Hayden. But it taught me a lot, and in uh, 15 months I was there, I suppose, and Derek Parker Bowles died suddenly, and the estate was house and estate, because they had uh, quite a lot of fields, they had stables and that for horses and uh, a few cattle as well. Um uh, and so I had to try and find uh, again uh, back to uh, back to the drawing board a bit, and just um, and me and my cousin was uh, at that time uh, a rep for Jiffy's, uh, getting Jiffy Sevens into the marketplace uh, from Scandinavia. Sort of, I think it was uh, getting that was instrumental in getting all that into that. So that will be, that will have been the early day of peat pots too, won't it, yeah, Jiffy's? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah right. just so yeah. you. Uh, in a, uh, some water and see him swell. Yeah. Rather, you know, cool, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he supplied Sutton's with various sundries and um, just having a chat and um, he said, oh, well, I'll see if, you know, just see if they're looking for anyone uh, uh, at Sutton's. And they were looking for some uh, sort of uh, uh, new blood. There was quite a few old timers there. And um, so I was there for an interview and um, yeah, took me on uh, in November 69, that was. I mean, at those times, they were amazing trials, weren't they? At Reading, both sides of the railway line, it sort of stretched yeah, out. All those everyone was from leaning out their carriage windows, weren't they, in, uh, uh, on non-wet days to look at the yeah wonderful sight of uh, things. And there was over 40 acres there of... Uh, of trial land and a bit of seed production, of course, big greenhouses as well. Yeah. In one corner. Goodness. Keep finding those fantastic new garden vegetables for us. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much, Peter. I see uh, quite a big report on feeding birds. Uh, uh, did you know that? Uh, Ladies buy 56% of all the wild bird food, and, and we men are a bit uh, uh, mean, it seems. There's only 44% of us that are buying food to feed the birds. Mind you, I don't buy very much, I have to admit. But then my garden has uh, quite a lot of seed heads for the uh, seed-eating birds. We have berries on the pyracantha and the holly. I'm putting out a few rotten apples so that the blackbirds and the thrushes can have something. Uh, there's uh, two ways of feeding birds. Uh, uh, I'm surprised, really, how much some people spend. The average spend in garden centres, apparently, is £29.94 by the ladies and £22.60 by the men. Quite a lot of money, isn't it, to feed the birds? Thanks again to our sponsor, Mr Fothergill Seeds, and my producer, Charlie Jones. And thank you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.